Let's pray. God, we thank you right now. We thank you that you have seen fit today to give us life and to give us breath and to allow us to gather uh, in this way to worship you and now to hear from you through your word. And so I pray to that end, God, that you would speak clearly through me in this moment. I pray that anything I've prepared that really wasn't from you, you would strike from my memory and even things I haven't prepared that you would have communicated to these, your people, you would give me in the moment. I pray for clarity as I talk about what you have said in your word. I pray that I wouldn't be seen, but only you. Pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us today. We ask God that we would catch a glimpse of you today and that we would be changed by it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Once again, it's just wonderful to be back with you today and I'm super excited to uh, share the sermon that God has laid on my heart today. Uh, We are... I don't, we're not kicking off, I guess. I kind of kicked it off last week, but it's really kind of the first sermon in the series. Last week, I introduced our new series, which we're calling Back to Basics. And today, we're going to kind of do the first meaty, meaty bite of that series, Back to Basics. Um, but before we get to that, I just want to make a few brief comments uh, about the holiday that we are going to recognize here in our country tomorrow. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And in spite of all of the noise and all of the, the struggle and challenge and all of the racial issues that we have walked through this past year, but certainly for the decades leading up to this past year, I just want to remind all of us as we sit here on Martin Luther King Jr. Weekend 2021, what the holiday memorializes. It memorializes such ideas as justice and equality and fairness and treating people with dignity. And, and it, it memorializes seeing each person as having the image of God in them. And so while it is a public holiday here in the United States, I just want to remind us that the things that it memorializes actually get to the very heart of who God is and what his gospel is as it was revealed to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I, I, as we sit here today, it is my hope And it is my prayer that we, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus and our church, this this church that follows Jesus, Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, that not just this weekend, but all year long, we would be marked by the things that Martin Luther King Jr. holiday memorializes and reminds us of. I I pray that we would be marked by by fighting for justice for the oppressed, by, by standing with those who are marginalized, by serving the least of these, and the poor among us. And even as I say that, I'm like, I could be, that could be a text out of Isaiah that I'm reading because these are the things that get at the very heart of God. And so therefore, they are the things that we are about as Christians and here at Abundant Life. And it's just my great hope that the ideas and the, and the, the values that we memorialize on Martin Luther King Jr. Day are values that we hold high and we walk forward in here at Abundant Life every day of the year. So with that, let's get to today's sermon. My teaching text today is from Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 45 through 47. And uh, I'm going to read that now. You can look it up in your Bible or uh, follow along on the screen. Again, Deuteronomy 32, verses 45 to 47. And it says this. It says, And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. 
for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, when I was growing up, one of my, uh, one of my all-time favorite movies, we, my, my whole family, we loved it, was the movie Groundhog Day starring Bill Murray. And even as I was preparing this sermon this week, thinking about that movie, I was like, I got to watch that again. It's been a long time. Groundhog Day tells the story of a Pittsburgh-based meteorologist. His name is Phil Connors, and he works for a local TV station. And he is a cynical, acerbic, really jerk of a guy. And he is sent on assignment to the town of Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, because Puxatawney is the home of Puxatawney Phil, the world's most famous groundhog, the one who comes out of his, his home on February 2nd. And if he sees his shadow, there will be six more weeks of winter. I think that's the way it works. And if he doesn't see his shadow, supposedly there will be an early spring. So Phil Connors and his producer and their cameraman drive to Punxsutawney to film a segment about Groundhog Day. They get to town. He stays in a bed and breakfast, wakes up the next morning, heads out, shoots his segment. They're on their way back to Pittsburgh, but they get stopped by a massive snowstorm that has closed the roads. It's the snowstorm that Phil Connors had assured his viewers was going to blow past them and wouldn't affect them at all. So they turn around and go back to Punxsutawney. Phil spends another night in his bed and breakfast, and when he wakes up the next morning, the same song is playing on the radio, and the exact same banter by the radio hosts is going on. It doesn't take him long to figure out, as he heads downstairs for breakfast and out into the world, that he is reliving the same day over again. It is February 2nd again. And as those of you who've seen the movie will know, the plot of that movie moves forward such that every single day, is February 2nd. Phil Connors gets caught in a time loop where he has to relive the same day over and over and over again. And when that happens, what happens to Phil is he descends into a deep depression. When he realizes how trapped he is, how he cannot get out, how every day looks the same and just bleeds into each other, he descends into a deep depression. And without, at the risk of over-spiritualizing what's meant to just be a funny movie, I would argue the reason that he descends into such a depression is because when he is trapped like that, where every day looks the same, every day is the same as the day before it, he, is, he has lost many of the things that he looked to for his life. And so all of a sudden he begins to have thoughts like, is this really life? And this is not what life is supposed to be like. And is this really living in that Groundhog Day experience? Now, I can feel some of your anxiety rising through the screen right now. Because as I describe the plot of that movie Groundhog Day, I know there are a lot of light bulbs going off for those of us who are watching this sermon together saying, my last 10 months feels a lot like Groundhog Day. And if we're honest, a lot of us are like, like the Groundhog Day from hell. People are struggling right now. I know it. I talk to you. I, I, I feel it myself. Now, look, I know that there are a handful of introverts among us who, who are like right now, they're like, this has been the best year of my life. Never had a better experience than these last 10 months. But we're happy for you. But that has not been the experience for most of us over these last 12 months and I, or 10 months. And I'm right there with you. My home office is actually my bedroom. We have a desk set up right next to my bed. And so the, the seat that I spend all day working in 
is literally three feet from the pillow that I spend all night sleeping on. And I'm just telling you right now, human beings are not meant to spend 22, 23 hours a day in a six by six area. Actually, our culture has a word for that, and it's called prison. This shelter in place, this, this work from home, this pandemic Groundhog Day experience has been really challenging. And I know I talk about it every week, but it is, the, it is the lived experience we are feeling right now. And I think, if I can tie it back to the story I just told, a huge reason it has been such a challenge is because so many of us feel like Phil Connors. When every day starts to look like the last, when every day feels the same, it is easy to start asking, is this really life? Is this really living? We have, we have lost so many of the things that prior to the pandemic we looked to for life. And now as we slog through every day feeling the same, staying in the same place every day, it is easy to start asking about really deep questions like, is this life and where is life? Like, this is not life. This is not living. And so it's in that context that I want to preach my message today. We are, as I mentioned already, we're, we're kicking off or we're in the second, ser- second message of this series. We're going to sit in for a while here as we start the year called Back to Basics. And for those who were with us last week, we are rooting this in Acts chapter 4, story of Peter and John before the council. And the council, we're told in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, is astonished by Peter and John. And the reason that they are astonished by them is why? Because they recognize that they had been with Jesus. And so for the coming weeks, we just want to sit in what does it actually look like to be with Jesus? How can we be with Jesus? And so the title of my message today is called The Words of Life. Because as our text that I read to start this off tells us, this book, these words are no empty words, but they are our very life. And so I think this is a timely message as many of us are slogging through our days saying, this isn't really living. This is not what life should feel like. We have an answer in God's word as to where we can go for life. And that is what we are going to focus on today. The primary way we can be with Jesus today is by spending time in this book, is by reading these words. John Piper, uh, the the wonderful pastor and, and theologian, says that scripture is the kindling for the flame of our spiritual life. And he says, without it, the flame goes out. This is what we live on spiritually. So my only hope today, My only hope today in our moments together is that I can function like salt and that by the end of the time we have together this morning, that we will all collectively be so thirsty to drink from God's word because we have been so struck by how wonderful and magnificent and life-giving it is. So before we turn back to the text, we just have to have an idea of where we are. What is our context as we enter into these three verses? uh, Yeah, three verses that I just read. We are at the end of Moses' life, Moses' life. He has brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He has led them through the desert, wandering through for 40 years. He has brought them to the edge of the promised land, but God has told him he is not to enter the promised land. And that's a different sermon for a different day, but he knows he's not going with them. And so he takes a moment to write down all the words of the law 
that God has given him. But what we need to recognize is that that is not just the law, that is not just the Ten Commandments and the rules and regulations as they were revealed to Moses when he went on Mount Sinai and met God. We believe, Christians believe, that Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. We call it the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so here we are at the end of Deuteronomy. Moses, we believe, has just read, or read, has just written the first five books of the Bible, which, he, which is what, what Jewish people know as the Torah or the law. And he is coming to the Israelites and he is literally delivering them this book. And then he says the words that I just read. And we're going to see in those words, two commands and a promise. And that's going to frame how we understand Moses' words to the Israelites and what they mean for us today. Two commands and a promise in Genesis, Deuteronomy 32 verses 45 to 47. And the first one is this, when it comes to the words of God, very simply, Moses command charges the Israelites to learn it. That's the first point, learn it. If we look back at verse 46, Moses speaks to the Israelites. He gives them the words of the law that he has written down. Again, we believe it's the first five books of the Bible. And he says to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today. One scholar says it's, it's, it's lost a little bit in English. Take to heart doesn't sound that emphatic, but in the Hebrew, Moses is saying in the most strong of terms, the, the strongest of possible terms, he is saying, learn these words that I have given you. Spend time in them. Get them inside of you. You must learn these words at all costs. And as we continue on in verse 46, he says, that you may command them to your children. And implicit in that idea, he is saying, learn the words that God gave me to give to you. Learn them so well that you can teach them to others. Implicit in that is the idea of you cannot give what you don't possess. If you don't learn it for yourself, there is no way you're ever going to be able to teach others. He is saying, at all costs, learn the words that God has given me to give to you because you cannot give what you do not possess. You can't give away something you don't have yourself. So at all costs, learn these words. Now, as we sit here today, I suspect there's some of us who are like, that's great, Gary. That sounds cool. And I'm sure it was very important for the Israelites to learn those words that Moses had written down from God for the Israelites. But how does that really apply to us today? Because our book, our Bible, looks very different than the Torah or the Pentateuch, which Moses was giving to the Israelites at that time. And I say, I'm glad you asked that question. Because this, the correlation is this. What Moses gave to the Israelites in that moment was the words of God as they had been revealed to an author and had written them down. It was, it was God's letter. It was God's map. It was God's guidebook for his people, the Israelites, as he had revealed it to Moses. And our Bible today is the exact same thing. That, that book that Moses gave the Israelites, it told them who God was what he was all about and what he wanted for their lives. And this Bible today is a book that was written by authors whom God revealed the words to. And it tells us who God is and what he's all about and what his hopes and dreams and expectations are for our lives. So when, God, when Moses in our text is saying, take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, the words for the Israelites were the first five books of the Bible. The words for us are the entire, uh, the entire scriptures. This Bible is the same thing for us that the Torah was for those Israelites back then. This book stands alone amongst all works of literature on the earth. 
It was written by approximately 36, three dozen authors over a period of approximately 1,500 years. And it is through those 36 or, or 35 authors over 1,500 years, it tells one consistent story that, that, that runs from beginning to end with a singular focus and a singular theme. And that is the work and the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and me, how God has loved us so much that he has effected salvation for us. This book Learn it at all costs. The message that Moses had for the Israelites is the same message that God has for us today. That's why I'm preaching out of this text. Learn this book. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, learn this book at all costs. I know a little bit this sounds like Christianity 101, but sometimes we have to be reminded of the basics. And that is why we are getting back to basics in the early part of this year because there is nothing more important we can do then learn the words of this book and not just learn them, but learn them so well that we could actually teach them to others because it teaches us who God is and what he has done. And it teaches us about ourselves. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you are not consistently spending time in this book, there's a disconnect somewhere because those two statements don't go together. There was an amazing man who lived in the 1800s. His name was Hudson Taylor. He was an a, a, a amazing man of God. He founded a missions organization called the China Inland Mission. And he spent his life traveling through China, taking the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to that country. His son and daughter-in-law spent a lot of time traveling with him and, and wrote a book about his life. And one of the things they recounted in that book is how when they would travel through China with their dad, they would stay in the poorest of inns at night. They're traveling by cart and by wheelbarrow. And they said they would stay in the poorest of inns, uh, single room inns where everyone was sleeping together in the same room. And, uh, and, and they said they would get to these inns and they would find some corner and they would hang up a sheet somewhere for just a little bit of privacy from everyone else that was in that inn. And, and they said that Hudson Taylor's life was so busy that he had a very hard time finding moments to be alone for himself. And so they said each night that they would spend in these inns with a sheet hung for some privacy from the other travelers, as sleep began to descend on the room and as the room began to get quiet, they would hear a match flicker and they would see a candle lit on the other side of the screen, other side of the sheet, as Hudson Taylor began to pour over his Bible in prayer and reading of scripture. Most nights he spent between 2 and 4 a.m. reading the Bible because he knew the words that we are looking at in Deuteronomy today that at all costs as a follower of Jesus, he had to know the words that were in this book. And now I know some of us today are like, that's great, that was the 1800s, that's some Navy SEAL in God's army who was up from two to four reading his Bible every night, lest you think that he was some superhero. I want you to hear what he said one time when someone uh, congratulated him on the success of his missions organization, China Inland Mission. This is what he said, Hudson Taylor. It seemed to me that God had looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when he at last found me, he said, he is weak enough. He'll do. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. 
All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. Do you hear what he's saying there? I could do what I did because God was with me, because I, because his being with me, he knew how important it was to Acts chapter four, be with God. And so at all costs, even if it cost him his sleep each night, he was committed to learning what was in this book. So the first thing that we take from this text we're looking at today is when it comes to God's word for the follower of God, there is at all costs, learn it. So that's number one. Second thing we see, second command we see from Moses to the Israelites that we're going to take for ourselves is this. Not only learn it, but do it. Do it. If we continue on in verse 46, he says, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children that they may be, uh, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. You must learn what is in the book. You must learn God's word, not just so that you can have it in your head, not just so that you have a bunch of knowledge and can impress your friends and your neighbors and the people at the tabernacle with how much you know about God's law. He says you must learn what is in these words so that you can do it. It is not good enough to just learn it. Actions must follow. These words are God's guidebook, his map, his instruction manual, and therefore you must do what is in them. And in order to do them, you must know what they, they say. It's like in James chapter one, when James tells us not to be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And he says that someone who hears the word, but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks in a mirror and then goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Moses is saying the same thing here. He's saying, you got to learn what's in these words so that you can do it. Um, my kids love Legos. Uh, I have mixed feelings. Uh, I have mixed feelings about Legos, but my kids love Legos, and so we've got Legos all over the house. And I know most of you will know how it is that Legos come to us. They come in a box, and when you open that box, there are 15 tiny plastic bags full of 10,000 multicolored plastic pieces that somehow, in some way, are all supposed to fit together. Now, that would be overwhelming if not for what? If not for the instruction manual. Every Lego set comes with an instruction manual. And that instruction manual gives you step-by-step instructions, page after page that shows each piece and where it should go. And if you follow follow the instructions step-by-step, what started off as 10,000 completely unrelated pieces of plastic makes one unified, beautiful Star Wars spacecraft or or knights in shining armor castle or whatever it is. Now, do you know what would be kind of weird, or maybe I should say kind of dumb, is if someone were to get a big Lego set, pull out all those bags of plastic and all the pieces inside of it, dump them all out on the table in front of them, look at the instruction manual and say, you know what, I think I can do it without that. I think I'll be better off just doing it on my own. Now, again, I know that there are some very creative folks out there who are like, I don't want to be constrained by what the picture on the box is. I want to create my own creation and bless you if that's your vision. But most of us want the the, the finished product to look like it looks on the picture on the box of the Legos. And in order for us to get there, we must follow the instruction manual. Albert Einstein himself could not start with the random pieces and put together the picture that is on the box. Maybe he could, but it would be, it'd be one in a million. Doesn't life kind of feel right now like we're trying to build a Lego set 
without the instruction manual? Doesn't it feel like we just got all these random pieces that we aren't sure how they fit together and we are trying to, 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 to put them together without instructions? Well, I have good news for us today. There is an instruction manual. There is an instruction manual for life. And while it may not lay out step-by-step instructions for how to get to, to your, your best life now, this book has all the instructions we need for life. And so to, to try and walk through life without consulting it is like trying to build the Lego castle without looking at the instruction book. I, I would argue one of the most common questions being asked in this moment right now is what should we do? What should we do? Every person, family, organization is asking that question and has been for like 10 months now. What should we do? What should we do about work? What should we do about our office? What should we do about work for home? What should we do about our family? What should we do about our house? Is it time to move? What should we do about church? What should we do about mom and dad? What should we do about our vacation this summer? What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? And again, while it is not going to provide specific answers to each of those questions, the big picture, what should we do, has already been made clear, and it is in here. What should we be doing? What we should be doing at any season of our lives, and that is loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Don't just learn what is in here, but do it. Do you know what I I found to be the second most disturbing thing about what happened in our nation's capital a week and a half ago? The first most disturbing thing is the fact that five lives were lost. And that is tragic and so frustrating and so disappointing. The second most disturbing thing to me about what happened at our capital was all of the Christian paraphernalia that was present in that moment. People were carrying crosses and flags with the name of Jesus on it. And people, people were carrying Bibles as they assaulted our nation and our nation's capital and, and unlawfully entered the Capitol building. Do you know how someone can do that? You know how someone can carry a Bible in the midst of doing something like that? The only answer I can come up with is that they have never read it. Because if you have read it, if you have learned what is in this book, the promise of this book and the promise of the passage we're looking at right now is that it will change your actions. You learn it so that you do things differently. It does not make you a Christian to own a Bible. It does not make you a Christian even to read a Bible. You are a Christian when you are doing the things that the Bible says. So Moses is calling the Israelites and God is calling us not just to learn it, but to do it. And the last thing I want us to see in this text, why? Why learn it and why do it? Because it is our life. Because it is our life. Look with me now at verse 47. Moses says, take to heart these words, command them to your children so that they will do it. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life He is saying your life is found in the words of God. This book that I have just written for you, that God inspired me to write, that tells you who he is and what he's done and teaches you about who you are and how you are to live. It is the source of your life. And he goes on. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Do you hear what he is saying? For the Israelites in that moment, their greatest hope was that they would one day be settled in the promised land. And Moses is saying, this book, these words of God are your ticket 
to the promised land. You do not get it unless you learn what is in here and you follow the instructions that it provides you for your life. And this is a theme that is all over scripture. And really in this moment, Moses is just repeating something. He already told them back in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, when he said, man does not live on bread alone, but what? But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's words are what give us life. The apostles, Peter echoes this in John chapter six. We're told that a bunch of Jesus disciples turn away from following him and don't, don't go with him anymore. And Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he says, do you want to go away as well? And it says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The words of God as recorded in our Holy scripture are literally our lives. They are our very life. And I say that with such confidence. I say that with such confidence because I have experienced it for myself. I know a lot of you know my story and I'm not going to rehash it, uh, but I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a wonderful Christian home, was in church all the time, knew all the Bible stories, knew all the memory verses, knew all the right answers, knew all the worship songs. I went to a Christian college. I studied the Bible as an academic discipline in Christian college. Again, knew all the answers, knew all, this, knew all the memory verses, knew all the worship songs, knew knew all that there was to know, well, almost all that there was to know about what it looked like to be a Christian. And yet in spite of that, or maybe because of it, I never developed the discipline and the, the longing to consistently be in God's word. I had times of my life where I did and times where I didn't, but never was it a consistent thing. And not until my early thirties, really, when I had a bunch of little kids and an all-encompassing career. And, and I just felt like I was flailing in virtually every area of my life that I finally got to the place where I was like, I, I can't afford not to consistently be spending time with Jesus in his word. And I will tell you as I sit here today, it has been the singular most transformative thing in my entire life. It is not like when I started reading the Bible that all consistently, that all of a sudden there were neon flashing signs about what I should do and where I should go and how I should do it. But there is a direct correlation between me getting serious about being with Jesus on a consistent basis and God revealing his call on my life. I was a anxious, stressed, um, discouraged Christian who was looking for life in all the wrong places. And when I committed to being in God's word, he blew my life up in a beautiful way. And he revealed to me, I, I, there is just, there, in no uncertain terms, what he had for me and what he had for my life. And, and again, as I sit here today, I am not, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. My life is very far from perfect, but I have a joy I have a peace, I have a satisfaction that I had not known. I did not know until I got serious about being with Jesus. Now, the danger of that, that illustration, and this is just coming to me in this moment, is that it makes it sound like it's by your own good works that you can figure out the call on your life. And if you just work harder, then, then, then things will turn out right. And that's not, at all what I'm, that's not at all what I am communicating. But what I am saying is this. If you can consistently spend time with Jesus by being in this book, it is your life. It will transform your life. I don't know how, I don't know in what way there's no guidebook. There's no, there's no, uh, uh crystal ball. That's going to show how, but I guarantee you, if you are dissatisfied today, 
If you're anxious, if you're stressed, if you are feeling like this is not life, this is not living, this Groundhog Day experience, I'm not sure how much more I can take. You can find your life today. I have good news. You can find it. And it is found in this book, Drink Deeply from God's word. I, I know some of you right now are like, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm too depressed. I'm too disappointed. I'm too discouraged. I can't make it happen. And hear me when I say you can't afford not to make it happen. Why am I so worked up about this? Why do I get so worked up about this book? Because it is life. Why do we preach out of this book every single week? It's not what I think or what Jason thinks or what any of our other preachers think. It's what God thinks because they are literally the words of life. It is water for parched lips and thirsty souls. This is not easy, comfortable. All the answers are clear life, but deep, abiding, calm in the storm, hope in the valley, live long in the promised land life. And it is found in the words of God as they have been recorded in this book. You cannot afford not to learn it. Try me. Just try me. Please try me. Learn it and do it because it is our life. Now, before I wrap this up, I want to just get as practical as I can in this moment. So up to this point, it's been very theoretical, and hopefully I've done a decent job of laying out what I think the message of this text is, which is this is, this is life. And there's, there's virtually, there's nothing more important we can do than spend time in this word because it is spending time with Jesus and that transforms our life. But I want to get really practical in this moment. In order for it to change our lives, in order for us to find our life in this book, we got to read it. You just, that, that's, it's not good enough for your mom and dad to read it. It's not good enough for your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your circle of friends to be reading their Bible. It's not good enough for your pastor to read the Bible. You got to read the Bible. If it just, there's, there's no other answer to it. And so here are my suggestions. Here are my practical, here's how you can do it today suggestions. One, schedule it. We are so good at filling up our calendars with stuff that is lesser. And if our boss tells us they need to meet with us, we will move heaven and earth to make that meeting happen because that is our boss. Well, there is no more important meeting any day of the week than meeting with Jesus and being with God. So put it on your calendar schedule it. Here's the second thing. And this is, this is what transformed my time in reading God's word. If it's random, it's easy to blow it off. But if you have a plan, it is so much easier to stick to it. And so to that end, we are here to help today. As we sit here today on our website, we have uploaded three Bible reading plans that you can go today, print off and begin to start reading this afternoon or tomorrow morning, whatever works best for you. There are three options. The first is a 30-day plan. I know some of us are like, I, I, I have no consistency in reading the Bible. To think about doing it every day for a year is like thinking about going and squatting 500 pounds when you haven't worked out in 10 years. And I get that. And there's all, that, that's, that's, you're in a wonderful place. So we've got a 30-day plan that is an overview of the life of Jesus. We've got a 90-day plan. It's our intermediate plan. And that is an overview of the whole Bible in 90 days. You're not going to read the whole Bible, but you're going to read selected passages from the Bible over the space of 90 days. And then the last option is we have a plan there that will take you through the whole Bible in one year. Get together with your growth groups. Get together with your families. Do it together. You, you know the power of accountability, but, but schedule it. Have a plan. And then here's the last thing I just want to say. When you read the Bible, it's easy just to read it and then 
not really know what you read and forget about it. And that's okay, it, we all have been there. I like to try and answer three questions when I read a passage of scripture, I'm gonna give them to you right now. Keep a journal, every time you read a chapter out of the Bible or a passage out of the Bible, see if you can answer these three questions and here they are. What is this passage about? What is it about? What does it mean for everyone? What does it mean for everyone? And then three, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to me in this moment? What is it about? What does it mean? And what does God, what is God saying to me? I, I cannot, I, I, can't, I cannot say it more strongly. There is, there is nothing, there's nothing that will transform your life in this moment, this year, Groundhog Day, 2021, than beginning to consistently be with Jesus by spending time in his word. Now, here's the other thing I want to say, getting really practical. Uh, if you have a consistent time that you spend with God, if you, if, you, if you feel like you're doing a pretty decent job of consistently being in his word, that is awesome. Here's my challenge to you. Take it to the next step and start to memorize it. There is incredible power in memorizing scripture. It's not easy to do, especially as we get older, but there is incredible power in memorizing scripture. I was going through a, I was going through a, a hard season many years ago, and I started memorizing Psalm 27 as I drove between appointments. In my car, I would just pull it up on my phone and just read it to myself over, 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 and over again. And to this day, I can tell you that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Listen, uh, a Backstreet Boys song from 15 years ago can come on the radio and I can sing it word for word. That should not be so. It should be so with God's word. So if, if you are at the place where you are feeling like you got a good rhythm of being in God's word, here's my, here's my challenge to you as we start 21, be 2021. Start to memorize it. Pick a psalm. Pick your favorite passage. Start to just start little by little. Start to put that in your heart so that even when you don't have the book in front of you, you can call it to mind. There's incredible power in it. So this is what I want to wrap up with. Uh, the Israelites that Moses was talking to in the verses that we just looked at, he implored them to learn God's word. Why? Because they had to know how much they had to do and then do it. You see, they were in a covenant with God that was performance-based. They had to know the words that Moses had given them from God because they had to know how much they had to do so that they could do it. That is entirely different from why we read God's word today. We do not read God's word today to learn how much we have to do. We read God's word today so that we can know how much has been done for us. And in doing so, we might live out a grateful response to it. God's word teaches us how much has been done for us. And the only response, the only possible response when that truth sinks into us is to live in grateful response to that. The Bible, God's word, God's law, it is not our life because it teaches us how to earn our salvation. It is our life because it teaches us how salvation has been given to us through Jesus Christ. That is life. That is life. What happens in Groundhog Day is Phil Connors ultimately decides to make the most of his trouble, of his problems. He decides to actually start using his situation, living the same day over and over and over again to his advantage. And so he learns how to play piano. He learns how to speak French. He learns how to carve ice sculptures. And what he does in that moment is he finds life while in the midst of his problem. And we can do the same thing today. 
We can use this season. We can use this moment to our advantage. We can make the most of this season by getting back to basics and drinking deeply from the word of God as we walk through 2021 together. For it is no empty word for us, but it is our very life. Amen. God, we ask that that truth would just marinate over us right now. God, I pray that you would give us an an insatiable thirst to drink from your words. Sometimes Sometimes it's confusing, God, and sometimes we don't understand what we're reading. And sometimes we forget what we're reading. But as I was told once, it's like breakfast. You don't remember what you had 11 days ago, but it changed you. And we believe because you promise it in your word that when we spend time with you, it will change us. And as Acts chapter 4 reminds us, other people will notice when that happens. We pray that that would be true of us as individuals and as a church. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, wonderful to be with you all today. Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You are loved, you are prayed for, and you are sent.